You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. We were meeting, um, the elders were meeting in the library at the back there with new members, and we met with uh, Owen. Where's Owen? He's here somewhere. He's here. It's all right, Owen. I'm not going to, I'm going to name you, but I'm not going to make you come up. Um, And Owen was telling me that, uh, uh, he was telling us, allow me to say this, okay, just about uh, when you first became a Christian, you're watching the God channel, and it became a bit OTT for you but you've really been helped in reading Spurgeon every morning, is new every morning, or that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah morning by morning with Spurgeon. And uh, I, I think that's great, and I, you know, it's, I think it's wonderful. We were talking about this, and we were saying how the Bible applies to us now, and someone like Spurgeon, who's a 19th century Baptist, applies to us now because it's the Word of God, and the Word of God still speaks to us today, and speaks as, as truly and really to us and to our hearts as, uh, as it has ever done. And that really is the most wonderful thing. But one thing about Spurgeon that you may not know, Owen, is that he was a depressive, that he suffered severely from depression, and uh, like other Christians have done as well. And uh, in one thing I read recently in which he was saying, he was saying sometimes he was just left thinking, I've, I've nothing absolutely nothing except Jesus. And that was enough. I mean, he was a very humorous man. He was a very uh, powerful man in lots of ways. But he really did struggle with depression, particularly about his own sin and about circumstances and about his own faith and doubts. And you think, wow, that's the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. How is that possible? Well, that's what (coughs) the Christian faith is. It's very real Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? That really can happen. I think this psalm, I'm going to call it this, a psalm for the backslidden, for those who have known God but have wandered away from God, for those who have a sense of God's absence. (coughs) Psalm 43 actually goes together with Psalm 42. Most people consider it's just the one psalm. And uh, both of them deal with this sense of God's absence and this frustration with ourselves and our own sin. The interesting thing is that doesn't stop prayer, but it promotes it. Uh, And I think the solution for us as we face up to our own sin and our own turning away from God is to return to the cross. And there are four pleas that are made in this or four statements that are made that I want just to briefly look at before we take communion. Number one is this, vindicate me, O God. 
He's asking, pronounce judgment in my favor. Why am I oppressed? Psalm 42, verse 9. Why do I have to put up with the mockery? There are deceitful and wicked men. And he says to God, God, judge me. Not many of us are going to pray, God, judge me. How can he do that? He's faced with a horrendous situation, but if the psalmist is being honest, he can look into his own heart, as the apostle Paul did, and say, I am the chief of sinners. How can you honestly pray to God tonight, God, judge me? Because of Isaiah 53, surely, verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We can say to God, God judge me, because we know that God has already judged us in Jesus Christ. And God is just, and he will not judge us twice. I, I'm going to quote from Isaiah 53 in each of these points. I'm also going to quote from Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, so guess what film we went to see. Um, honestly, find space this week to go and see it. Uh, if not, do penance by reading the book, because um, the book is miles better. I, I, I went to this film thinking, I don't like films of musicals. You know, I really don't. And I... I didn't expect to. I love the story. I love the book, and I've been really, really keen to actually see the musical. But uh, I thought, a three-hour film of a musical, I'm going to be so bored. And it was just stunning in lots of ways. Uh, Russell Crowe can't really sing, but um, it doesn't matter. They sing it live. and uh, I mean, they sing it to camera. They didn't go and mime it or anything like that. Uh, it's a stunning story. It's a brilliant story. For me, it's probably one of the best stories I've ever heard in terms of communicating what the gospel is and what grace is. So I picked up some quotes <coughs> that I'd written down from the actual book. And uh, I mean, it is unbelievable that millions, I think 70 million people or something, have seen the musical and millions will see the film and they won't grasp that it's about the gospel, because it is. Here's a quote from Victor Hugo, Les Miserables, when he says this, listen, there will be more joy in heaven over the tears of a repentant sinner than over the white robes of a hundred just men. Of course, just quoting Jesus. The story in, in Les Miserables is between a man who, uh, the main conflict is between a man who thinks that he is righteous, thinks that he is the law enforcer, and is absolutely certain that people do not change. And uh, Val de Jean, who, is, who was a criminal, whatever the circumstances that forced him to be that, who was in prison, who came out, who uh, continued in crime, and who did change, but he didn't change because he decided to live a good life he changed because of grace that he received. And there is an enormous contrast that we can have. There are people who will say, 
God, vindicate me because I am right and everyone else is wrong. I do what is good. Maybe other people don't, but I do. But the Christian is someone who comes and says, Lord, I am a sinner. I, have, I, I do so many things that are wrong, and I want you to judge me. And when we look at the bread and the wine, when we take that, we are recognizing that God has judged us already. And that is a tremendous liberty to have. Our guilt is taken away, and our sin is atoned for. Second question, why have you rejected me? Well, the second statement. He says, God, you are my stronghold, verse 2. But he still feels rejected. How can you have that? How can you have a belief that God is good, that God is your stronghold, that God is all this, and then you feel that God has rejected you? Another depressive, William Cowper, put it this way. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. The psalmist got it wrong. God had not rejected him. But when he looked at the circumstances, it felt like that. And you and I will often be in circumstances where we feel, first of all, we feel as though we deserve to be rejected, and secondly, we feel as though we have been rejected. And yet Isaiah 53, continuing to read in that, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Matthew 27, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason that you are not rejected by God and the reason that I am not rejected by God is because Christ was rejected. Christ was forsaken. Christ took all that we deserved and carried it all. Again, from Les Miserables, at least the book, we pray together, we are afraid together, and then we go to sleep. Even if Satan came into the house, no one would interfere. After all, what is there to fear in this house? There is always one with us who is the strongest. Satan may visit our house, but the good Lord lives here. You may at times not feel the presence of God. You may feel like you are rejected. But the good Lord lives here. He lives amongst his people. He lives with those who believe and trust in him. We do not feel that God accepts us because we are acceptable. We feel and know that God accepts us because Jesus was rejected for us. He is our acceptance. And the psalmist cries out another, send out your light 
and your truth. Send forth your light and truth. He's saying, I feel rejected. I need to be vindicated. I'm being mocked. I am oppressed. This is the search and rescue party. I don't know who wrote this, but I I liked it. Commenting on this said, the reality is that to live in God's light and cherish His truth is the true way through life's difficulties to a blessed outcome. You see, you could feel right now that you were sinful. You could feel that you were rejected. You could feel oppressed. You could feel in doubt and in fear. And because you feel that, you then think, I can't go to God's light. I can't go to God's truth. And you don't realize that the very thing that you need to, to overcome that oppression, to overcome that depression, is to live in the light and the truth of God. Isaiah 53, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When you're in darkness, you ask for light. When you're oppressed by lies and doubts and fears and accusations, you ask for truth. And God always sends out His light and His truth, and they come from the cross. It's at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Again, good old Victor Hugo. I love, this is is one of my, there's so many great lines in the book, but this is one of my favorites. He did not study God, he was dazzled by Him. He did not study God, he was dazzled by Him by him. Sometimes uh, we have this thing that, you know, people are are studying God and and studying different things. And we need to study, of course. Of course we study because we think and we look at things. But I don't want to stand here and give a lecture. I don't want to look at the Bible and think, well, that's an interesting point. Now I need to look at this point and that point and this subsection and that. I need to study this. I want to see God, and I want to be dazzled by Him. And then He says, let me praise you. Let me praise you. I will praise you. I will go to the altar of God. You guide me. Bring me there. I will praise you. You're my joy and my delight. I will yet praise you, my Savior and my God. The world says to us, enjoy what you have. Bird in the hand, that's better than two in the bush. Enjoy what you've got. The believer says, actually, no. My hopes are better than my present possessions. I love uh, Aramurdo's favorite answer when you ask him, how are you? He says, oh, I'm good, but I'll be better yet. And that's true. For the believer, it will be better. The best is yet to come. And what the psalmist is doing here is he's looking for renewed worship. He remembers, if you go back to Psalm 42, he remembers corporate worship in the past. He remembers personal experiences of God's grace, but now he's looking to the future. And he's saying, there's going to come a time of praise that is going to blow everything else out of the water. 
And I think we have that. Some of us remember great times in the past. We remember personal experience of God's grace. And maybe right now we don't have that. But we can look and we can say, wait a minute. There's, there, whatever I had in the past, that's not the ultimate. There is yet more to come. In this life, I think, as well as in the life to come. And so he says, take me back to you. Lead me back to you. How does he get back to God? I love the, the sequence here. Bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I'll go to your altar. And it's kind of like a, a progression of increasing closeness. I get to the mountain. I get to your secret place. I get to the altar, right in to the holy of holies. <coughs> it's kind of a step-by-step home. Maybe this is reading a bit much into it, but uh, we don't have wings. We don't fly. We're not sitting there and just going, whoosh, suddenly we're exalted up. That might happen to some people. But for most of us, that is not it. What happens is there's a steady progression. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are going one step at a time. And each step is a step nearer home. And so we sing. Isaiah 53 goes on into Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy. You, were, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. I am profoundly pessimistic about the state of the church in Scotland. And I am absolutely certain that my pessimism is optimism in comparison with, with what God sees and yet I'm profoundly optimistic about the prospects for the gospel and for the church in Scotland because the gospel works and because God will cause us yet to sing. It's a time for us to enlarge the place of our tent. It's a time for us to, to strengthen our stakes, to lengthen our cords, to reach out. Let me praise you. It's a really, really interesting prayer. I'm certain I will praise you. I'm just feeling a bit rough just now. I'm feeling, but I know that I will praise you. I think the key in all of this, the psalmist, when he goes through this, and, he's, and, he, and, and there is, a, to me, more than a hint of him having turned away and backslidden. Why have you rejected me? What's going on? And certainly a sense of being distant from God. I think the key for all of us is to try and to grasp grace. And it really is wonderful. I mean, the, the, the most shocking thing in, in the film, and I think in the book, and the, for me the key part of it, is when the, the crook, if you like, who's escaped, is taken in by the bishop and is shown hospitality and runs away with his silverware. And he's caught by the police. And the police bring him back. And the bishop, basically just to say, this was terrible. I trusted you. I brought you into my home. I gave you all this. And you've taken my, you know, you're going back to jail forever. 
You're a menace to society. And he could have said that absolutely fairly and absolutely justly. And he said to the policeman, no, no, that, no, you've got it wrong. He said, I'm glad he's come back because he said he forgot to take the candlesticks, his most valuable possession. He forgot to take them. He says, here, you take these as well. And the police couldn't do anything. Not only was he not going to press charges, he was saying, come on, you should have taken some more. And in the film, you see this in the book as well. Every now and then, the candlesticks appear because he still kept them. And they are an incredible symbol of grace. I have a friend who thinks that um, Victor Hugo's novel is full of Roman Catholic theology, and it's saying, you've got to be good, and then you'll get to heaven. You'll be good, and you'll get to heaven. You love, and you'll get to heaven. And there's a sense in which a little bit of that is true, except this. He is only able to be good because he first received grace. And that is incredibly important. Put yourself in the position of the thief. God has been gracious to you. God has been good to you. God has provided you with a second chance. And what did you go and do? You went and screwed it up. And you've been caught. And Satan comes and he accuses you in front of God. And he's expecting God to condemn you and put you away. And God says, no. No, there's more that you can take. There's more. And that just doesn't fit with our picture of God. It doesn't fit with our picture of justice. How can that be right? Because God already judged. He judged Jesus. He loved us so much that he gave. Again, quoting from Victor Hugo, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. The great acts of love are done by those who are habitually performing small acts of kindness. We pardon to the extent that we love. Love is knowing that even when you are alone, you will never be lonely again. And great happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. Loved for ourselves and even loved in spite of ourselves. I think the hardest thing for you to believe is that God loves you despite yourself. We find it a little bit easier to believe sometimes that God will love us because we're nice and we've done good things until we see the truth. We find it really, really hard to believe that God loves us in spite of ourselves. But He does. He truly and really does That's why you can say, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. He is my Savior and my God. I think it, (coughs) I think it is a, uh, it's just an extraordinary, wonderful, wonderful thing. I was asked uh, last night at the film, you know, everyone cries at Les Mis. Come on. Uh, and I was asked, did you cry? And I said, uh, yes, inwardly. You know, that's right. Well, I did. I mean, you've got to, you've got to. It's, it's just so, it's, it, it, honestly, it's like, no matter how many times, I knew the story. I knew what was going to happen. And every single time, it's still, I, I find it just so extraordinary that, that this really, really happened. No, Victor Hugo's story But the grace that it illustrates really, 
really happened. And I can't go and say, or the devil can't accuse me, or you can't say to me, I can't go and you and, and say, well, actually, I've done this, 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 and this, and I've thought this, 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 and this, and I feel rejected, and I feel this, and I feel this, and all of that is enough to cancel out God's grace. Because in comparison with the absolute sheer grace and goodness of God, it really is nothing. Now, it's not nothing. It's horrible. It's horrendous. It drove Christ to the cross. But the point is that Christ went to the cross. And so we are forgiven, and we are redeemed, and we are set free. You can be downcast. You can be discouraged. You can be in doubt and in fear. But hold on always to this. I will yet praise you, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we will yet praise you. May your blessing be upon us. May all of us know that incredible grace that you grant to us, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.